And so Sandy read for us uh, Joshua 1, verse 1 to 9. And what I want to do is just a really quick overview of verses 1 to 5. And then the main focus this morning is going to be in verse 6 to 9. So verse 1 in Joshua 1, it kind of introduces the main character of the book. It introduces us to Joshua, and it connects it back to Deuteronomy, so that we know this is the next book in the progression of the history of God's people. And it does that by referring to Joshua as the son of Nun, so that we know this is the same Joshua that was serving Moses. This is the same Joshua who has now taken over. And then verse 2 to verse 5 kind of serves as this outline for the entire book of Joshua that follows. In verse 2, we see Moses' death is talked about again, and it reaffirms Joshua's leadership in his place. And in verse 2 is where Joshua is presented with his ultimate goal. It says, you will inherit the land God is giving the people. That is Joshua's main task, and that is the task that we see played out throughout the remainder of this book. And then in verse 3, God reiterates the promise that he gave to Moses, with this confident assertion that, yes, the people will be successful. The people will move into the land that God has given them. And it says, every place that you step is yours because God has given you the land. Now, I want us to notice something there. I think it's important in verse 3 because it says God has given them the land. God has gifted them the land, but they must step into it. Right? So God has this gift for them, but they're the ones that has to grasp it. He's like, I'm giving you anywhere where your foot steps. So you need to go and you need to step into that land. And, and this is an important distinction that is going to come up over and over and over again in this series. It is the importance of our obedience and our participation in what God is doing. When we talk about good works, they are a combination of what the, the work that only God can do and our participation, our response, our faith, our obedience to that work to see it accomplished through our lives. And so we're going to see this consistently throughout this series. And in verse 4, God gives further details about the extent of the land. He says, here's the borders of the land that you're going to inherit. And verse 5, God, again, foretells their success. You're going to be successful in this, Joshua. You're going to take the people into the promised land. And why are you going to be successful? Because I am with you. And the reality is, and the promise that we have is, if God is for us, then what? Who can be against us? Right? This is the reality of the follower of Christ, and this is the promise that Joshua and the people have. And so there's Joshua's task. It is laid out before him in those first five verses. And before we go any further, I want to remind you, every single one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you have tasks that are set before you as well. You have a purpose that God has given you. You have a call that God has given you. And we looked at this last week in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Right? We looked at this verse last week where it says, For we are his workmanship 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We looked at this amazing verse last week where it says, when we were created in Christ Jesus, meaning when we came to faith in him and God recreated us, made us a brand new creation in Christ. He had already planned out the works that he had for us. And so when we come to Christ, he's then, here you go, here's your works. Now walk in them. So we have works to do. We have purposes to do, just like Joshua. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have good works to do. And so we can take some lessons from Joshua's life as we consider our own tasks. And, and that's the aim of this morning and the focus of verse 6 to 9 that we're going to look at. We're going to look at the fact that after God gives Joshua his task, he then informs Joshua of what is required of him to complete that task that has been set before him. And they will be similar things that are required of us for the tasks that we have set before us by God. And so in verse 6 to 9, God gives a call to Joshua that is repeated three times. And this call or this command, it also bookends verse 6 to 9. So it's pretty important. God is saying, verse 2 to 5, hey, Joshua, here's your task. Here's what I want you to do. And then verse 6 to 9, here's what's going to be required for you to be successful in the task that I'm giving you. And this is what God says. First in verse 6, he says, be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Then in verse 7, only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you, in case you didn't hear it the first two times, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God says to Joshua three times, what this task is going to require of you, Joshua, is that you be strong and you be courageous. And it wasn't only here that God was hammering this message home to Joshua, and not just Joshua, but the people of Israel in general. This message of strength and courage was given to him and the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy 31 when Moses gives his last address to the people. Moses addresses the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 31 verse 6, and he says to the people, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And then, right after verse 6, in verse 7, Moses kind of pulls Joshua up on stage in front of the people. He says he summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. So it's through strength and it is through courage that Joshua would cause the people to inherit the land, that he would put the people in possession of that land that God had promised to give them. Now, this requirement of strength and courage is not just required of Joshua. 
These qualities are required of the nation of Israel in general, and they are required of followers of Jesus for us to accomplish what God calls us to. We need to have strength, and we need to be courageous, because some of the things that God's going to call us to are difficult. Some of the things that God's going to call us to, actually, a lot of the things, maybe all of the things that God is calling you to are going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to take strength, and it's going to take courage for you to step into them. And so I was curious, regarding these words, strong and courageous, what's the New Testament parallel? to these Hebrew words that we see that God repeats to Joshua. How does this relate to Christians? Because, as I said, our good works are going to require the same thing. And so I started to look at the word strength from the Hebrew in the New Testament. And the paralleled word that I found is this word ischio. And it means to be strong, and it means to be effective, and it means to be able to do something. And it is used three times. Three times. In the New Testament. Uh, and, and the times that it's used are very telling. The first time that we see it used is in Acts chapter 6 and the story of Stephen. And we all know that story. Stephen was having a dispute with the synagogue of the freedmen and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and several other groups you can just kind of put in there as well. And all of these groups were opposing Stephen while he was doing great wonders and great signs and preaching the gospel of Jesus. And chapter 6, verse 10 says this. It says, but they, these groups, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was preaching. Now, could not withstand is that Greek word ischio. They could not withstand. The people did not have the strength to compete with Stephen as he evangelized and did words and wonders for the kingdom of God. He was too strong for them. He was too wise. Then the next time we see it is in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, when James is telling the people, hey, if you have an illness, go and get prayed for. He says in chapter 5, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power while it's written or while it's working. There's that word again, strength, great power, ischio. And so the The prayer of a righteous person has great power, has great strength to accomplish that which is prayed for. And then the third time that we see it, probably the most significant of all, is Philippians 4.13, where Paul, Paul who did so many things for Christ, says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Whether it's confronting opposition like Stephen, whether it's praying, whether it be for healing or for other things, or doing anything for Jesus Christ, it requires strength. And then I looked up the New Testament parallel for courageous, and it's this Greek word androzomai. And it's only used once. It's used once in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 when Paul is giving his final instructions to the church. And it it seems like he's talking directly to the elders in this verse. And he says to them in verse 13 of chapter 16, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. 
You know which one is iandrozomai? Act like men. Yeah. That Old Testament word courageous, the parallel in the New Testament, act like men. That's pretty cool. And so you may or may not have noticed that in each of these examples from the New Testament, there's a theme regarding the source of the strength and the courage that is talked about. In Acts chapter 6, it attributes it to the spirit with which Stephen was working in. In James, the strength comes from righteousness. Where does righteousness come from? Jesus Christ. In Philippians, the strength comes, Paul says it clearly, from him who strengthens me. And in 1 Corinthians, the courage, I think it's interesting that the courage or acting like a man follows be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And so when we understand who the source of our strength is, who the source of the Spirit is, who the source of righteousness is, we know where our strength and our courage is coming from. It is coming from God. He is the one who gives us the strength. He is the one who gives us the courage. And that's exactly where Joshua's strength and courage is coming from. Let's just look at it because Joshua needed strength and courage to cause the people to inherit the promised land. But Joshua was not relying on his own strength and his own courage being brought, generated from within him. It is rooted in something else, just like ours is rooted in someone else. And that is made clear in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, when the command to be strong and courageous is emphatically repeated and tied to something else, Joshua's obedience to the law. Just look at it. What we can conclude is that Joshua's strength and courage was rooted in his obedience to the law of God. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, only be strong and courageous, being very careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according or do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So be strong and be courageous, Joshua. But where is this strength and courage rooted from? Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left hand. You know what's fascinating to me is that word careful, be careful, Joshua, is a word that we've looked at a few times since January in our series In the Beginning. It is the exact same word that is used in Genesis 2.15 when God commands Adam, go and keep the garden. Protect the garden, Adam. Keep watch of the garden. Persevere. Be careful. And then he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. What does that remind you of? It should remind us of Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 to 9, right? Where, where God says, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and, ta- and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God says to Joshua, the word shall not depart from your mouth. It should be in every vein of your life, and it's the same for followers of Jesus. The word of God should not depart from our mouth. It should be in absolutely every vein of our life. Our faith in Jesus Christ, our coming to church is not something that we do just on a Sunday. It is who we are in Christ. It is our identity. It is everything. And so it should constantly be on our lips, constantly in our minds, in everything that we do. We should be those annoying people just talking about, I just want to talk about God all day. I love getting about around brothers and sisters in Christ because we just end up talking about Jesus all the time. And I just, I love talking about Jesus, right? Because it should be on your mouth all the time. You meditate on it all the time. Don't stop talking about it. Be annoying. Don't be annoying. Don't be like obnoxious. You scare people away that way. But knowing God's law is the root of Joshua's courage. Why is it the root of Joshua's courage? Because strength and courage are very easily mustered when you know God's word and when you know what you're doing is right in the eyes of God. Like so much strength, so much courage comes from that. You know the word of God. You know what is right. And so I can just step into it. Even if no one is coming with me, even if the world says you're crazy, even if the world says you're evil, if the world says you're insane, you're like, no, no. God has declared in his word, this is right. And so I'm going to have strength. I'm going to have courage to step into it because I know that God is with me when I am faithful to his word, not turning to the right, not turning to the left, but following the word of God. 1 Timothy 4 to 11 to 13, Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Make sure your people know the word of God. Command it and teach it. Let no one despise you for your youth, Timothy, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Know the word, preach the word, speak the word, meditate on the word, and do all, do according to all the law of Moses. Do according to all that is written in it. You know, it's interesting. There's a lot of people that do some of what is written in the word of God. We can be very uh, willing to, I'll take that, but I'm not going to take that. I'll take that as truth. I don't really like that one. What does he say to Joshua? Do according to all that is in the law of Moses. Do according to all that is written in it. You know, the problem is when we cherry pick the word of God, what we have to reconcile in our hearts is it's either the word of God or it's not. It's either infallible or it's fallible. We have to reconcile that in our hearts. You don't just get to pick what you want, and leave the rest. That's not how it works. It's either God's word or it's not God's word. We have to reconcile that in our hearts. You know, I was thinking about this, this importance of doing all that God commands, and I kept having the, the story of Saul. 
come back to my mind as I was thinking about this. It's, it's such an interesting story. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 9. And, Paul, or, and God had commanded Saul, when he was fighting the people and the king Agag, destroy everything, Saul. Absolutely everything was the word of God. Destroy it all. And so we see in 1 Samuel 15, 9, it says, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. And so Saul went and he did partially what God said. He went and destroyed all the things that they didn't like, all the things that weren't valuable, but he kept the lambs that were good, he kept the calves that were good, and he spared the king. And look at the reaction that Saul gets. 1 Samuel 15, 10 to 15. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told, Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. I have performed what God commanded me to perform. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen in my ear that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. and And the rest we have devoted to destruction. It's a fascinating story. Saul says, look, I I did everything that God commanded me to do. Samuel's like, why do I hear sheep then? Why do I hear oxen? And Saul's response is, well, we destroyed everything, but we kept these because we wanted to sacrifice them to God, which seems like a good thing. But that's not what God commanded him to do. He said, destroy everything. You know, Partial obedience is still disobedience. We love partial obedience. God's called me to that. Okay, I'll I'll go to here. It's close enough. No, it's not. It's disobedience. If God's called us to something, it's all or nothing. He expects our trust. And the the result of obedience to the word of God, we see it in there. It says, You'll have strength, you'll have courage to accomplish the task given, and you will have success wherever you go. So he says to Joshua in verse 7. He says, you meditate on this word, you have it in your mouth constantly. Joshua, you're going to have success wherever you go. Now, lest you think that I'm going to go the, the route of like prosperity preaching, right? You can just get everything. Everything comes to you if you, if you know the word of God. It's interesting because the word success in the Hebrew is the word sakal, which means that you'll be prudent. It means that you'll be considerate. It means that you'll be able to comprehend. And so what God is saying, he said, when you meditate on my word, when you have it in your mouth constantly, you will be able to comprehend what I want from you in a moment. 
in a situation, and that in itself will be successful. Knowing God's word helps you to know God's will, and that's what brings you success, is walking in the will of God. And he says in verse 9, uh, your way will be prosperous. And again, he says, you will have good success. And then God ends in verse 9, and this is where we'll end. With probably the best promise of all. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I mean, you could just, I, I could just take that one line. Like, I'm good. Lord, my God is with me wherever I go. Perfect. That's all I need. And my wife and children. Oh, she's laughing. <laughs> but this promise, what we have to understand here is when God says, I will be with you wherever you go, that promise is tied to Joshua's obedience. It is tied to Joshua knowing the word, not turning to the right, not turning to the left. And on a larger scale, it's tied to the obedience of the people of Israel. Because Moses gave them the same command. And so, what is often lost on us that we can see clearly in the book of Joshua is the, the corporate importance of obedience to the Word of God. In our culture, Christianity has become largely individualistic. And it was never meant to be that. There are so many people who believe, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be with other Christians. As long as I have faith in Jesus, I'm good to go. It's just not true. You cannot separate faith in Jesus from being a part of his body. There is a corporate reality to obedience. And we see it in the story of Joshua. Because we see they're walking, they're not turning to the right, they're not turning to the left, and what happens? They cross the Jordan River. Joshua builds a memorial to God. He, he's faithful and he circumcises the, the whole new generation that's following him. Then they celebrate the Passover together and then they go to the walls of Jericho. And we all know that story. Jericho should have been impossible. Jericho shouldn't have happened. And they marched around it and they marched around it and they marched around it and they blew their trumpets and the walls of Jericho fell and the land was given to them because God was with them. And then they go from Jericho to this little community called Ai, and what happens? They get utterly defeated. I think it's two or 3,000 men die. So they can knock down the walls of Jericho, but they can't take this little community of I. What happened? One man, one man in the community of Israel was disobedient. A can, he hid some of the things under his tent that were supposed to be destroyed. And God was like, nope, you've broken union with me. I'm not with you anymore. And it caused 2,500 people to die. One man's disobedience in the nation. How do we not think it could be the same for us? How do we not think that in the community, in the body of Christ, one person's disobedience could affect other things? 
Our faith is not individualistic as much as we often try to make it that. And Joshua atones for the people. He comes before the Lord. He finds out what happened. And the Lord's faithful, and he's gracious. And Joshua atones, and then the Lord is with them again, and they go and defeat I the way that they should have the first time. You know, we have a promise that resembles God's promise to Joshua. He has promised us the strength and the courage that we need. He has promised us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. But that doesn't mean that you get to walk in disobedience and have great success. It is tied to our knowledge of the word of God. It is tied to our obedience and our faithfulness. And then God will be with us. I I believe Once you are saved, you cannot lose your salvation. That's where I land on that. Some may land differently. But I do believe that within that, you can be incredibly disobedient and incredibly unused by God because you just refuse to walk with him the way that you should. And his promise to be with us is the root of, of what he's called us to do. I mean, you look at the great commission in Matthew 28. He says, go. Go and preach and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say? I am with you always. I am with you in that. That's why you have success, because Jesus is with you in that. Acts 1, verse 8. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The reason why we have strength, the reason why we have power, the reason why we have courage, the reason why we are able to accomplish things is because Jesus is with us. But it takes our faithfulness and it takes our obedience to him and his word. Knowing God is with us comes from knowing God's word. And knowing God is with us comes from obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, Father, for the reality that it is living, that it is active, that, Father, when we read your word, it reads us. It exposes our hearts. It exposes our disobedience. And, Father, I pray that for each person in here who knows Jesus, that our desire would be to live our lives unto you. That we would know your word, that we would have it hidden in your heart, that we would meditate on it, and that we would speak about it. We talk about it with our kids. We talk about it in our workplaces. We talk about it wherever we go, and that takes strength and that takes courage. Because the reality of our culture is that there's places where we feel like we absolutely can't talk about it. But we need to. Because men and women are perishing apart from you. And so give us the strength, give us the courage, Lord, to walk in the good works that you have prepared for us beforehand. Thank you, Lord, that it is a privilege to know you. Thank you, Lord, that it is a privilege to walk in the works that you have given us. And Father, thank you for your word that we know what is right and what is wrong. 
and we can stand firmly on that in every circumstance and know you are with us. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. We praise you for that glorious truth, and we praise you for our Savior, Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.